Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you're listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. What's up? What's up, Chet? How are you today? I'm doing pretty good today. Good. Me too. Good. I'm getting a lot of um, Kickstarter stuff out, so that is really uh, uh, lessening my anxiety and stress, so that feels good. Yeah, it's fun to see the pictures of all the uh, the monochromatic oil studies that you did that people are posting. Yeah, people are so stoked about it. I'm surprised. I didn't think they would go over that well. I even when I was up at uh, Chris Haas's place this last weekend helping him with his uh, Kickstarter for his band Ragwater, I uh, saw the monochromatic oil study that you did for him as a reward hanging on the wall. It was pretty badass. Oh, cool. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, they're fun. They're fun. They're quick, quick and dirty, but they're free. So, you know, no one can complain. That's the funnest part. <laughs> no one can really complain because they're just a free extra thing for donating to the Kickstarter. So, so it's like know. a free, a free freedom of expression. <laughs> yeah, there's no pressure whatsoever. So, you know, actually that kind of leads us in a little bit as a segue into our topic today, which is oh, yeah. something along the lines of developing your style. Um, you do a lot of quick little things like that, and I think that that probably does have something to do with, with your development of style, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Well, today, yeah, we're going to talk about how to develop your style as an artist. And at this point, you know, <clears throat> my style is pre- pretty established. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, doing a lot of work like that where you're just cranking things and not worrying too much is really a great way to, to develop that. I think just because you don't have time to think about it and just what you do is what you do, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's almost like I used to have a screenwriting professor named Dan Larner, who was actually a playwright, but he taught also taught screenwriting. And he always said his little moniker was, uh, put the lid on the garbage can. He would always say that, put the lid on the garbage can, you know? And I love that <laughs> advice because it, you know, I mean, it can mean a lot of things, but to me, what it, what it always meant was, was like, you know, just do your thing and, and don't judge it and don't question it when you're in that stage of creation. You know what I mean? When you're just really mm-hmm. just, it's just a free freedom, uh, you know, uh, expression of, of, creativity. And so, you know, don't worry about whether it looks good. Don't worry about whether it makes sense because you can always fine tune it later. You can always go in and do the things you need to do to make it right. But you want to capture the essence of that, that beautiful creative spirit. And so I would, he would always say, put the lid on the garbage can, just write, just write, you know? And I I think that that translates again to the painting thing. Just, just paint, just paint. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the, you know, the first and foremost that that's, that's the, the baseline for developing your style is just creating a lot of work. You know, I think a lot of people, younger artists, <clears throat> they're so excited about cr- being creative and painting that they want to have the style. They want to have their thing already and just do it, you know, but it doesn't work that way. You know, d- developing a style comes from uh, working in whatever your, your medium is and mm-hmm. developing it over time, you know, Cause I, when I first started painting in 2000, I didn't have my style down at all. I, I, there's probably some paintings I haven't even posted online that were weird experiments at, where I was trying to figure stuff out, like uh, almost like one in the oven, the one in the right. oven one. Yeah, that that's did, you yeah, know? it's yeah. kind of experimental because yeah. I haven't seen much else that that. It's like that since or before, really. Yeah, I'd like to redo that painting, actually, like do a, a better version of it. But yeah, that was like a fetus kind of hanging in a womb that was kind of funny. He had a kind of cartoony face a little bit. And mm-hmm. also that bl- one called Bloody Eyeball, which is just like mm-hmm. a close-up of this gross eyeball. <clears throat> I was doing a lot of stuff that was um, close-ups of things, you know, like just the eye or you macrocosmic know. yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or I guess that's Mike. I guess it would be micro, micro, yeah, microcosmic. And, um, I, you know, I, I tried for, I would say, I think a, about a year I was trying different things and seeing what clicked. And, you know, I've mentioned this before, but the, uh, the portrait stuff that I'm known for, the monster portraits was just one of those 
experiments along the way that got uh, the most response. You know, it was obvious that that was something that people liked, so I went with that because it was it. You know, it was it felt as good as any of the other experiments, um, but it, it was you know getting a better uh, response than the other stuff. So I thought, hey, I'll go with this for a while, and then that totally opened up a whole new world for me and kind of set the course for my whole career you know so you would say then that part of what makes something click as you said is not just that you enjoy doing it um, but that people respond to it and that there there's a place for it out there's a niche out there for it right that's part of make what makes it click for you and your style speaking of style pertaining to style well for me it was you know i i wanted to do this as a job or career so badly that i knew that i had to earn a living at it so I couldn't if if I wanted to make money at it I had to figure out something that you know was going to resonate with people and um so I couldn't just you know I couldn't just go I'm going to be an abstract artist that I'm sure that's fun to do too you know or I I you know I'm going to paint flowers or whatever but you know it wasn't <clears throat> I mean first that's that's a small part of it I guess but it's you know maybe not so small because if you you know if you unless you're independently wealthy you have to earn a living with what you're doing and if nobody likes it then nobody's going to buy it <laughs> so you know it was you know it was a more of an experimenting until i found something that uh me and the public both liked but i do think that mm-hmm. the thing the, the portrait thing i settled on was the best of the experiments i did you know so there's mm-hmm. something to be said mm-hmm. about that you know well and maybe even also some of the the positive feedback from your primary care group, you know, cause like I remember Lisa telling me your wife that she really liked the oval monster monster right, portraits. Those, and you, you even said that, that she had mentioned to you, you know, those ones really strike a chord in me. And so maybe even having the people that are close to you, whom you trust, who are, you know, intimate in your life, mm-hmm. in your, you know, the, your daily activities, as well as your artistic expressions to have their corroboration mm-hmm. on things might also be part of what helped you develop your style. Right. Well, she, you know, her, it was, for anybody who doesn't know, the first, I think, uh, the first painting of, of this series that I'm still doing, which are these portraits, was this, uh, it's a, a painting called Dunce. It was an oval 11 by 14. It was Lisa who kept telling me, you got you should do these oval paintings. She just was, you know, intuitively, you, you got to do these. And I kept blowing it off going, eh, I don't really want to. And then I tried one, and of course, it was the thing that you know made my career <laughs> pretty much, which usually <laughs> is the way things go with me and Lisa, where she sits and tells me something, and I'm pig-headed about it. And then when I finally do it, it works. But um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. If you if you have honest people, you know, if your peer, if your little group around you is honest with you, that's that's the important thing. Because a lot of times, people will that are your friends don't want to hurt your feelings and they'll just kind of say everything you do is great, you know, but Lisa's not like that. You know, she tells, tells it her, she's honest about that stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah I would agree that that's a good feedback. I mean, these are have. little splinters. They're, I mean, I'm not trying to say that, you know, that they're, they're paramount to your style, but rather just that all of these little things may all create the bedrock from which then this yeah. the edifice of your style has erected, you know? Yeah. I guess there's a lot of little things that go into it. But, uh, you know, the, the main thing about finding your style, I think, is – I guess – well, let, let, me, let me put it this way. I think that art should be – you know, good art should be the purest expression of the artist. You know, so you really – being yourself 100%. You're being who you are all the way. Yeah, and that's yeah absolutely. Going, yeah, and that's going to create the, the most unique artwork because – you who you are is unique to you know nobody else is you in the whole world out of all these billions of people and Mm -hmm. and um that's all we really have to to distinguish ourselves from other artists is ourselves and who we are and how we are different so uh, you know it always a good place to start from i think um is just having the uh intention of being completely honest with the work, you know, and completely, you know, not worrying about what's going to sell or not worrying about what's cool or popular, but worrying, not worrying, but 
just dealing with expressing what you love and making the kind of paintings that you want to see, you know, Mm -hmm. and doing it in a way that is as pure as possible and as real as possible and as honest as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, well, and it's like you're finding yourself. I mean, that's the funny right. thing. It's like that's why I said you. I like. I like that you said finding your style right then, as opposed to developing your style. And that's not to say that those two things can't exist, coexist, but rather that you know, it's almost like by finding yourself more, you will create better artwork. Or conversely, by creating better artwork, you will find yourself more. Right. Yeah. It seems like they kind of both go hand in hand in a way. And that, I mean, that's that. It feels to me like uh, a career in art or the path of of being an artist is, you know, finding yourself in the artwork, you know, discovering who you are through the artwork, or at least that's how it was for me, you know? So, uh, you know, uh, uh, an honest approach, of course, is, you know, like I said, paramount to developing your own style, but... um, that doesn't mean you can't have your influences in there because, mm-hmm. you know, we're, yeah, ev- everything we are is the result of the information we take in throughout our lives. And so, um, I've, you know, I've got Bekshinsky influenced big time and Frazetta and Giger, and, 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 but, but I feel like I make them my own enough to where I'm, I don't feel like I'm ripping them off, you know, and they, you know, you look at stuff, I forget who Bek, uh, Giger, God, what is the guy, the artist's name? Is it, I wonder if it's Hans Belmer. Is it Hans Belmer? There's this artist I always thought, you know, when I was younger, oh, Giger's, there's nobody like Giger. He's never, nobody's ever done anything like Giger. And then I saw Giger's influence. It was like, oh, Uh, you know, it's not, Giger's not ripping this guy off, but. um, Well, right. Because, I mean, really, you're talking about evolution. You're talking about the evolution of art. Because, again, art is evolving, just like consciousness is evolving, just like physical organisms are evolving, right? right? So art is you know, inevitably, as we are influenced by the ancestors and predecessors, those things will inevitably mutate and change and adapt through us as a conduit, as a, like, as you said, a unique individual and be exhibited as an adaptation to a, a variety of things that have been brought together again and digested through our own perceptions. So it is just really a, a process of evolution, you know, and I think that that also speaks to the heart of style because I think that style evolves. And the, and I think your style is even now, as I watch it over the past five years, continually evolving. So that's fascinating as well. Oh, thank you. That's the- I mean, but, but speaking of, you know, influences, I guess is what I'm saying is that you, there is a ripoff factor, but then there's also just the inevitable evolution of artistic expression and styles of art are hinging on us being the unique individuals that are digesting what we've seen and liked and creating our own expression, you know, and not specifically saying, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to do Bekshinsky tribute paintings, but rather that his style indelibly affected you and it's undeniable and there's no way to really, you know, uh, separate the wheat from the chaff in that case. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, I guess the what what I'm trying to say is, uh, in a nutshell, is that uh, if you if you approach things honestly, you try and be as honest with the artwork, and do it a lot. That's the other key, and not worry about how it's going to look. That's going to go a long way to developing your style. If you if you're at a point where you you feel like you don't have your own style, it's you know it's a matter of putting the hours in, of course, which we always come back to when it comes to any kind of success in art, whether it be, you know, financial success or creative success, it's all about putting the time in. That's the thing that nobody wants to do (laughs) or not nobody, (laughs) but a lot of people don't want to hear that because it's all about, you know, putting your 10,000 hours in or whatever it is they say, you know? So, um, I think that a style does develop naturally the more work you do for sure. But, you know, there are little tips, I think, to to developing a style, which is be aware of your influences. And when you see and you have to be aware that you are ripping off if you're ripping off, you need to be mm-hmm. aware of that so that you can go, OK, you know, I, I love Bekshinsky so much. I, I ripped him off in this painting. So what can I do to make this different and make it my own and mm-hmm. not be such a rip off? And then you can adjust it kind of accordingly. Or else, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. do do another painting and say, "Oh, I'm not going to do that again because that's got the 
thing that was in the Bekshinsky painting that's just too close. And that's just a matter mm -hmm. of judging yourself what's too close and what's not, you know. Like I said, everybody, everybody everybody's got an influence for sure. <clears throat> it's not a bad thing. Well, and if you and 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 furthermore, if you could take something that someone else was doing again in the name of evolution and take it beyond where they were able to take it, mm -hmm. then that that's fucking awesome. If you could do better than what someone else did in your own way, then do that. Right. You know what I right. mean? But there's a difference there than you know just ripping somebody off. Right. Because right. most of the time that you're doing, you know, you see somebody doing someone else's thing, is because they're afraid to do their own thing ultimately. Mm -hmm. And they know that this has gotten a popular response. And so they're not doing it better. They're just doing replicas of it on whatever level. You know right. what I mean? If you could take it to the next level then you go, yeah, most of the time people can't because the type of people that end up falling into that trap, I think, are is because again, they're afraid. They're afraid to pursue their own. It's uncomfortable getting to know yourself and right. being honest and true with yourself. And ultimately, if you're doing art right, it's going to exhibit itself in the artwork. So your artwork should indelibly kind of make you uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> on some level. Yeah, well, you know, I've always sort of thought that, and I don't know if this is necessarily true, but I've always kind of thought that you can. You know, if if the art is is real, it's sort of a, a uh, an example of the artist's character in a way. You know, so if you've got an artist who's just doing lame stuff, uninspired, lame ripoff work, then they're probably kind of lame character, lame in character yeah, right. <laughs> in a way. You know, <laughs> but that's that might not be true because you know, there's a lot of great artists and musicians, especially that are you know make great work and they're total assholes in their personal life. So that may not be true, true. necessarily. True. Um, well, there's an exception for every rule and a rule for every exception. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But yeah, you know, the, another, the, another way, I guess I, all I've got is my own uh, experience to, to, to judge by as far as developing your style. So I can just kind of go by what I did. And um, a lot of my style came from just doodling you know, sketching and doodling and, and not caring what it looked like. That's a big part of it. If that's why, if you rush into, I want to be an artist, I want to be successful. Um, so I'm going to just start doing it without putting all the time in. And you want, you know, that you want your painting to instantly be as good as your, you know, the people you look up to. It doesn't mm -hmm. work that way. Um, it just doesn't work that way. It takes a lot of time. It takes years to get it to that point. And so during that time <clears throat> of developing your style, I think you should be doing a lot of stuff that you're not going to show anybody because there's no pressure. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, it's like with the, the monochromatic studies in a way, like there's no pressure to create something, some masterpiece because it's just about pure expression, you know, and mm -hmm, totally. And, and as much as doodling is like a goofy thing that, you know, isn't taken seriously, it's very important to me, doodling. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, I remember, honestly, for me, and I'll, I'll actually send you a picture of one, but when I was working in the corporate world, some of the best little ideas for sketches and drawings came from the doodles I would do at these meetings because mm -hmm. you're just sitting there at these fucking meetings and they're boring. But for me, when I'm – when I doodle i can i'm listening and so i'm hearing what i actually tune in better because i'm kind of in that way like i have to distract myself with something but because i don't care about them they end up being i just sent it to you it's pretty funny it's like a commercial for ghoul mints i don't <laughs> even know what the fuck that is but it's just so funny because it's like you just you know you're not thinking about it like you said it's like almost stream of consciousness where cool. you're just da di da di da you know doing this thing and you're not or when you're on the telephone you're talking to someone on right. the phone you're really focusing on the phone conversation in that meeting I'm actually even though it's boring I'm focusing on the content of what is going on in the meeting because I have to be able to talk to people about it and blah 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 so my hand is just doing this thing right. and then I start looking at some of the stuff I've done and like that one I was like that's so cool like yeah how, where did that come from I sure as fuck didn't have anything to do with that but of course. <laughs> I did. It came through me, you know, but it's just this funny little zombie head that's cut off and it looks like it's flying. It's got its hair coming back, a little flame coming out. And then it says ghoul mints and there's this little mint and then like a wrapped mint next to it. It's just like, but that's just one example. I was sending Chet, you know, where it's like, I just, that one was so cool. And like, I never could have thought of that consciously, just never in a million years. And if I had been sitting there trying to draw that from the outset, I guarantee it would have looked stupid. But right. because I was just really not paying attention, 
then those are the gems. I keep all my little doodle papers mm-hmm. because they give me great ideas. So anyway, that's a segue, I suppose. But back to what you're saying about developing style. Yeah, I find that in doodling as well, for sure. Yeah, I I've, you know, think looking back, I didn't realize it, but probably all throughout geez, you know, my childhood. And but even into when I started working in effects, I would have meetings as well. And I would always doodle in the meetings. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of that, you know, I have sketchbooks from um, I was also sketching too, just for fun. And I have sketchbooks from the '90s where you could definitely see the stuff that I'm doing now in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, but and it wasn't because I was I wasn't trying to be like, okay, what's going to be my artistic statement? What's going to be my style? It was just <laughs> purely for the joy of it because it was fun. Yeah. And that's where you know the the best, most real stuff is going to come from the stuff that you do because you just want to do it. Yeah, you just like it. Yeah, it's just, it's just or, or you're even compelled to do it right. in some way. You yeah, know? yeah. So, uh, yeah, doodling's a, a big part of it, and and also not pressuring yourself to have a style. Really, when you you know there there should be that, especially when you're starting out. There should be that. Um, that playtime you give yourself where it's yeah that's what i was gonna say experimentation right Mm -hmm. because like i mean i used to do this thing in college where we would drink a lot in college of course i guess that's like kind of the obvious stupid thing to say but it's true we would drink a lot and we'd have all these bottles and so what i would do is i'd peel you know those bottles are sweating and they're so they're kind of like soft Uh and i peel the label off so that it left just a white piece, you know, the backing with the glue on the bottle. And then I would take my fingernail and I would start carving out the bits of white paper and glue to create an image. And I would just do it not thinking about it, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm just kind of doing it. Well, one of my roommates. And think think about, I hate to interrupt you, but think about that. That itself could have been, you could have gone with that idea because I know exactly what you're talking about and made a whole career out of it. And it was just from fucking around and it's a cool idea. Yeah, that's the funny thing is like one of my roommates was like she really liked them and I never thought about it. I just threw them in the recycling bin like because right. that's because it was not for anything it was just because I liked it it was fun I enjoyed it so she was keeping them so she made this whole thing up on the top you know you have your, your like uh, entertainment center or whatever your television and back in the day there were those big fat televisions right. that took up a lot of space you know big old shelf and she had all these bottles and she'd have them all positioned in like little scenarios because they were all these characters they were these little monster oh, cool. dudes you know because of course i do the same shit you know right. and so it's funny because again for me that was like it was unconsequential or inconsequential it was not an important thing right. it was totally because i was having fun and being creative but also i was just going to throw them in the recycling bin you know and so that there's that experimentation and that play and mm-hmm. i still do that so it's like for me part of my development of style is staying creative right. even when you're in a situation that may be social but in a way that you can also still continue to interact and not be removed from that experience and that's always that line for me you know and so if i just bring a sketchbook and i go to a party and i sit in the corner and sketch that ain't gonna work you know right. what I mean? <laughs> but at the same time there are ways that i can still be creative you mm-hmm. know i could be sitting there having a conversation and creating a little cigarette ash sketch on the counter with a toothpick you know right. what i mean so Again, I think that that's important, for, at least for me, certainly, is that experimentation and that playtime, as you were saying. Yeah, and I, I guess that's also kind of brings up the point of not trying so hard, too. You know, that's part of, I think, being really uh, creatively expressive is to not try so hard. I mean, when I put everything back to um, when I was thinking about I was thinking about this because I was like, okay. I'm in this job I'm not into anymore, and I want to be a fine artist. So I, I had to look back on my life and say, okay, when was I, when did I create the purest art ever in my life? Mm-hmm. And that was when I was a kid, just drawing for the fun of it. And that's when it was real to me. Cause, you know, like kids draw, they just, it's pure expression, pure creative mm-hmm. expression. They're not thinking about, a statement or they're not thinking about if it's going to sell or they're not thinking about anything. They're just doing it for fun. And so mm-hmm. that is so important, I think, to um, making good art aside from creating your uh, style. But it's it's that's what makes the best art, I think, is when you mm-hmm. are doing it just purely out of because you are so into it, you know, which is kind of right, aside, right. aside the point. But um, 
Uh, I don't think it is, though. I don't think it's an aside because, you know, what you and I end up almost always talking about on these is like some of the deeper philosophical layers that are more the more esoteric layers to this very exoteric thing, which is creating art, because art is a very exoteric thing. It's out in the world. You're creating this thing that's made out of these real materials that's on a very physical, flat thing that people are going to touch and look at, you know, and so that's it, you know, but there are so many deep seated I would say concepts or memes and thoughts that revolve around the way we behave and the way we behave in turn affects the things that we create out in the world. So I I don't think that it's an aside. I think that that is part of it. You know, I really don't. Well, you know, as as an exercise, it's funny that you mentioned the, uh, the sketches in the, in the meetings, the doodles mm-hmm. in the meetings, because I used to do that, and also the doodles on the phone, because that was another huge one, and I still do yeah. that one. When you're on the phone, you know, as a little exercise, just have your sketch pad there, and it's it's great because when you're or when you're watching a movie, sometimes it's like mm-hmm. if you if you have it there, it's you're not thinking about it. It's like your mind is occupied with one one part of your brain's occupied with doing something, you know, like talking to somebody or. or you know, paying attention to something else while you're, uh, oh no, uh, <laughs> dogs are coming. Dottie's here. The too. dogs are coming. Um, um, I like lost my train of thought. Uh, well, you were saying when you're occup- when you're preoccupied with one task, it allows the, right. the forum for to to do another task simultaneously. Right. So I guess the point being is that I, I feel like you you are most yourself when you're. Um, can you grab her? Sorry, Dottie, come on. Get out. Sorry. Get out. Oh, don't worry, guys. They're all used to it by now. <laughs> Doc and Dottie, the whole crew. This is the I've got a, I've got a Brenya in here with me, but uh, she's just okay. camped out sleeping in the corner. So you can see Brenya's paw. Dottie. Yeah. Back there in the corner, just yeah. her paw. <laughs> Dottie's another story because she's a great Dane and it's a lot harder to get her out and she's still kind of a puppy. But um, Dottie's enormous. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, was I saying? Um, oh, I had a You're good talk about how it's important to be doing, you know, one activity but staying creative. Oh yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right, yeah. Because what I think what this goes back to my initial point that the, you know the best art is art that is pure, purely a pure expression of your being, like who you really are, and from so, your heart. Yes, it's true. And um, by doing by doing stuff like doodling and not paying attention or not caring about what you do which sounds weird to say, but it's true. Like not having any pressure on yourself to create some masterpiece or something. You're going to get more to the, uh, you know, the, the meat of who you are, you know, by, mm-hmm. by, by putting almost like by putting less effort in by not trying mm-hmm. so hard by mm-hmm. it's more, it's going to be more of a pure expression, which is going to be more you, you know, cause if you, I can't think of, um, anything worse than anything worse for your creativity than to be like, ah, I got to do the best painting. You know, I got to be yeah, the best right. and just trying and thinking and overthinking it. Cause it's not really, you know, it's not really about that. I don't think it's, it's more about expression and being real and honest, you know, I keep yeah, coming yeah. back. Creativity is not a logical, rational process. It's a, it exists in a completely different hemisphere in the brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, all those little uh, I think little things like that where where you play time and 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 stuff like uh, talking on the phone and sketching is really good for yeah. you. And also for me, for me having time too, like because I'll when I drive if I'm by myself and let's say I have like an hour hour and a half drive, I'll just as I'm driving I'll just start thinking about oh, yeah, all yeah. of these creative things I could do and like and I start to formulate ideas and I'll start to create almost like. You know, blueprints and game plans mm-hmm. in my head, you know, and then I can then call on those later. Another good time for me is before I go to sleep. Yeah. And that's a big part of what I do is like, not just the, the, you know, we've talked a little bit about my dreaming experiences, my ability to kind of grab things from dreams, but rather now talking about that limbo zone, because I find that 
once you're starting to let go of your attachment to the physical world, whether that's through meditation or that's through some kind of a substance you've ingested or that's through just your regular biorhythms of sleep, as you're going into sleep, you're letting go of your attachment to the waking world and inevitably you're going to go into a more creative, unconscious, imaginal realm and there's all kinds of amazing shit that starts happening and you'll be surprised because you're like – I, where's this coming from? Like well, somehow yeah. it feels like it's foreign to you somehow, yeah. you know? Well, if you think about it, think about all the crazy dreams we all have, you know, that just proves that the, the ideas are there. Your brain right, is capable right. of creating this unique artwork. It's just getting access to it. You know, yeah, exactly. everybody, everybody has crazy dreams. I think, I think pretty much everybody has had weird dreams. And so at least one, I mean, yeah, you know, right. cause some people, some people don't remember their dreams for whatever reason, right. but I, at least you, if you ask anybody, no one's going to say, Oh, I've never had a weird dream. Right. <laughs> Come on, have you ever met anyone that said they never had right. one? Weird dream? True. <laughs> but that, that just kind of proves that it is there and it's just about accessing it. So yeah, those other, you know, driving another one, that's a, it's, that's a really big one for me as well. It's funny that you're all these ones you're saying, it, maybe it's calm. It's probably common with most artists. Yeah, you know, yeah, driving maybe. and also when I go to sleep, that's why I got my phone next to me because I'm constantly um, writing stuff down in my phone so I don't forget it because I'll always forget it, especially when you're in that weird half asleep zone. Yeah, you know? well, and that's and, and what you're doing is exactly what I would call dream journaling. It's funny because most people think, oh, dream journaling means you're like, you know, writing down a dream you just had when you woke up. Well, sure. Yeah, that could be part of it. But mm -hmm. also it's just capturing information from that limbo zone whatever right. you know what i mean that's it and and so if you have your phone or you have a tablet or if you have a pen and paper or whatever or if you're like me and you can remember you can tabulate in your head and kind right. of remember you know, whatever <laughs> but yeah you got to be able to grab that while it's there because they're it's slippery they're like fish you know and right. they they might only swim by once and you got your chance to grab it yeah you know? yeah yep yeah, i never thought of that Dream journaling being that. I always thought dream journaling was just writing your dreams down. <laughs> no, and what you're doing is classic. I mean, to me, that's, you know, classic uh, classic dream journaling would right. be that, you know, that pre-sleep state is just as much a part of the dream dreaming process. For me, at least, as, you know, now again, that maybe that's different for other people, but I see just as many wild things going on before I'm actually asleep and experience very strange experiences while I know I'm still semi-conscious right. as I do when I'm fully asleep and dreaming. So, but yeah. maybe that's atypical I don't know but like you you do the same thing like I'll have a song start in my head and I'm not a musician although I have been doing musicianship now for this emails from infinity thing for the score and soundtrack mm -hmm. but I, I'll have a whole song playing in my head and it's like pretty cool. And I'm like, wow, where is this coming from? You know? And then I like think to myself, I want to like capture that somehow, you know, right. but that's a harder one to capture for me because I'm not a musician. So it's not like I could sit down and write down the notes, you know what right. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's part of the, part of the deal. It's, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people that say, Oh, I have really cool ideas, but I can't express them, you know, in a painting or whatever, but that's, that's where the work comes in. You know, you, you want right. to develop your skill to where you can capture the idea and, and express the idea as purely as you saw it in your mind, you know, Hell yeah. which, um, <clears throat> But one thing I wanted to say also, I'm, I'm just trying to uh, uh, corral my thoughts here on this subject. Yeah. yeah. One thing also um, I was thinking was that, you know, the the medium you use is also kind of, you know, lends itself to a certain style as well. So, yeah, yeah. you know, um, playing in different mediums, I guess the bottom line is experimentation is going to get you there. But it's also, you know, you got to, uh, you have to, uh, uh, God, it's the word. Uh, completely lost the word. <laughs> Sorry, you have to. <laughs> you know, you have to learn to make a judgment on what is what, what's good and what's bad. What's right. a and be honest with yourself yeah, about what's, it. Right? What's, what's a ripoff and what's original? And yeah, yeah, you have to be honest with yourself. But a lot of that stuff really is about training your eye as well. You know, sure, looking at, sure. looking at, I, I tell this to people all the time. It's like, you got to look at all the art you can, especially from the tried and true artists that we know are good. You know, mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. say don't generally, I wouldn't say, you know, don't spend most of your time looking at people that are creating now, but look at the stuff that's just for sure. Great. You know, because I, I don't know, we talked about that in a past podcast, I think, but, um, 
Tra- training your eye, knowing the difference between good and bad, is is a, a, a is a, is important. But also knowing uh, what is what is different too. That's the other thing. If you if you look at a lot of artwork, you'll you'll be able to have a better idea of what you're doing is original or not. You know, mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. sense, totally. it's, it's in a sense it's going to influence you, but at the same time, you know, it's going to have it's going to give you more information to be able to discern what is what is unique and what's been what hasn't been done before you know Mm -hmm. even though Mm -hmm. i would say probably everything's been done at this point to some degree it's just how you do it that's that's going to make it unique you know sure sure like i i think you know that as much as i credit bekshinsky is probably my biggest influence as a painter um, Basil Gogos is probably the closest thing to what I do, and, and I'm talking about those. I don't know if you know Basil Gogos, but I don't. He he painted um, all those famous monsters magazine covers. Right, right. Because I remember you were at a Monster Palooza, didn't you? Meet him or yeah, something? Or yeah. you got his shirt? Or I don't know. Yeah, what yeah. Thing. I bought one of his shirts. I gave him my book because he's he's like he's still alive, and he was he was at the last one too, and he's really old. He had a stroke, so he can't paint anymore, but. He's influenced so many people, but you know he would do these. Basically, they were illustration jobs for him. He would do these uh, covers for Famous Monsters magazine in the seventies, and uh, they were crazy colors, like kind of psychedelic and weird colors, but really great. Um, just classic movie monsters on the covers, and I just those things. All I always loved those. Th- that and um, the heavy metal magazine covers from the 70s mm-hmm. and 80s were, were really a big influence on me but uh, uh, Basil Gogos in particular he's because basically they're, they're portraits of monsters they're monster portraits which is basically what I'm doing and so the thing that's that's different about what I'm doing is that I've got my my own way of painting that's you know my tech my own technique that I've developed that gives it my style but also the characters are unique and unusual so that takes it yeah they're not like classic like because he was doing like the classic characters right. of monster movies right. so someone else created that that uh structure and right. he's just doing his spin on it right right so we're you know in a sense i'm you know i'm kind of ripping that concept off but i feel like it's uh, it's enough of a uh of a variation that it's it's unique you know and and it's and i haven't seen that presented i mean now now it's different but when i started i hadn't seen i hadn't can't think of anyone who was painting monster portraits sure but also not only that but you're even right in the beginning with like crybaby and stuff you've got this background that's going on this world that exists behind those creatures in the foreground and that is also imaginal you know in the sense that at least, well, we've talked about maybe that it's not, but insofar as that it's not a recreation of a scene from a film that was made by someone else. Right. You know what I mean? So you've got this this signature character, but I think also what's different is is that people want to know where they exist and what's going on outside of it, which is why we ended up doing the dystopia project in the book and all that is because – there is more going on and the eyes are drawn to the environment right. and it is curious and it does look homogenous and well, you know so and that's something that developed as as time goes on time went on because if you look at the um the oval portraits those have kind of just colored backgrounds mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and i guess it's something that i started experimenting with adding backgrounds and and it's funny too when you think about it they're 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 simple backgrounds in a sense, but um, what's hilarious is that they're like the drawings I used to do when I was a kid where I would have like a horizon line yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. draw some mountains. If you look at my old drawings, <laughs> it's very elementary. It's you know? classic fantasy art. Like your backgrounds is like – I remember when I t- first came to high school and I was like – and I was you know into art. So I took the fantasy art elective. I was like, ooh, this is going to be uh-huh. great, right? And they, like all the kind of background stuff you do is like perfectly like from what I learned in that fantasy art class. Right. It was like how do you draw a curvy road that goes yeah. up <laughs> along a precipice to a castle, you yeah. know? And like how do – you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's like – but you do – you know, again, you have your own style to it. So it's 
not pat. It's not like, oh, well, ho-hum. Because if it was, no one would be attracted to it. Mm. But you to have that classic like fantasy art style mm-hmm. in the background. And that again is like probably where you talk about you get that Frazetta thing and oh, the Brock yeah. thing. For, you know? But it's not intentional. And it's and what's funny is it's almost like if you were to take Brom and Frazetta and Bekshinsky and Gogo and Gogos or whatever his mm-hmm. name, Basil, and mm-hmm. all these different people and push them together, then maybe you'd have a semblance of something like what it is that you're doing. But that is why it's original because you couldn't put your finger on it. You couldn't – I could not say, well, this one thing is from this and this is obviously a ripoff of that. No, it's not. It's right. a Chetzar, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to like totally toot your horn here and make you all nervous and uncomfortable, but <laughs> and I have to reflect upon you. This is part of what goes on here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank yeah. you, Mark. Yeah, I appreciate that promotion. Let's applaud now. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> no, no, no. I appreciate it. I do appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard. It's weird talking about yourself like that because, you know, you can't. Just I, don't talk about yourself in the third person. Yeah, <laughs> Chad Zar has never talked about himself I, in the I will third never person. Talk about now. On the other hand, I have talked about him with him in the third person, which I'm sure creeps him the fuck out. <laughs> but, but nevertheless, he has never done it. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> douchey. Don't do it. <laughs> that's, that's the whole douchey episode. We're not on that one this time. Yeah, that, don't be a douche. <laughs> yeah, that crosses the line as far as I'm concerned. Um, now you're gonna have to edit. <laughs> you better be careful. You get too crazy. Whoa! <laughs> so, uh, so I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to look back and think. Okay, what? Yeah, think about your style, Chet. Well, I want to hear about your recent developments of style. Like, do uh, maybe this is a question you can answer for me? Do you feel that strong, challenging developments in your life? lend to developments in your style and I'm going to hit a hot button maybe not because you're so chill with death and everything but um, you know like your mother passing away or your father passing away while we were making the documentary I noticed changes in your style so Uh. I'm curious if you feel that those kinds of occurrences that are paramount to one's life and you know affect us emotionally have an effect over one's your style and not one's I suppose but over your own style that's interesting because I haven't noticed that and I and I didn't consciously think of that and I'm not aware of it although I I'm it's probably but I, you know I feel at, at this point for me it is I've got the ball rolling I know what I'm doing I know I have a thing that I do that I enjoy um, and so for me every painting is about how can I make this painting the best it could be that's mm-hmm. what it's all about so at this point it's more you know, technical in a lot of ways. Like I'm, I'm picking, you know, still I'm always learning new things and picking up things about, you know, values and, and stuff that I, I am learning along the way. Um, I, I, I don't, I can't think of anything to where I, I, uh, consciously made an effort. And I, like I said, I haven't noticed it. So I'd be curious to, Maybe only – I guess the only thing is like when you chose to do the painting thing because that was like a stressful event in your life. You were dealing with the culmination paint, the painting of just being a painter. I mean like you were dealing with the culminating stress of working in a job that you were miserable at and what you really wanted to do was be a painter. The, 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 the decision to choose that medium – Right. Uh-huh. Was was as a result of a stressful situation that was going on right. in your life. And so that could be probably the only thing that I could think of that I've seen of you. You know, it's just like me choosing to be a filmmaker as opposed to going the direction of being a fine artist is was, again, as a result of a stressful time in my life where I'd, I decided. And that's part of style, right, that you chose to be a painter mm-hmm. and really pursue that or that I chose to be a filmmaker and really pursue that. Right. You know what I mean? And those it seems like for both of us came from a really kind of a point in our life where we were like, fuck this, man. Yeah, like I, this is not what I want to be doing. I want to be doing something else. And right. this really is exciting to me. So I'm going to chase that, you know? Yeah. Well, I started as a – I wanted to be a sculptor, really. That's the, that's the funny thing because I didn't even think about painting because I had all this – my background in sculpture and in the film industry. So the first piece I did uh, was – soft spot that sculpture which mm-hmm. i did on weekends and during my lunch hour at my job and that's what i wanted to do like i wanted to, basically all the which is very similar to my paintings my monsters and my paintings um so i wanted to 
create a bunch of realistic bus kind of like what you know kind of like what thomas uh kubler's doing now mm-hmm. i, I know, love his stuff yeah, his God, great. amazing 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 and um <clears throat> that's kind of what i wanted to do but bus and um so but then it like i i think i said this before in another podcast too maybe maybe i didn't i i can't remember anything anymore but <laughs> it took it took too long and it was too expensive and it was hard to sell and it was expensive to sell so i switched to painting because i i uh i knew i could draw and i knew i could paint a little bit so it was just economics kind of that forced me into painting over sculpture mm-hmm. but i would have <laughs> preferred to yeah i would have preferred to start with sculpture but um and of course i got the, the painting bug once i started and then it was like oh this is you know just as good or better than sculpture for me so mm-hmm. um i just kept going with that you know but but the I guess the, you know, the foundation of my, my paintings, the foundation was laid throughout my childhood and and especially through my career in makeup effects, because there's a lot of, I see as, you know, I call it the makeup effects aesthetic, which isn't always a good thing. (laughs) There, there's a certain way people in the industry, um, our influence in, in makeup effects industry are influenced pretty much by the same things. Like we're all into monster movies. We're all into horror movies. We're all into cool, weird art. So it's not that, you know, I, I might be unique in the fine art world, but I'm not unique in the uh, makeup effects world or I'm not as unique because, uh, you know, we're all influenced by those same things. Like people like the pale man in, um, Pan's Labyrinth. Everyone thinks I did. I made that. Right, of course. But you know, Guillermo designed that, and uh, it's. I I believe it's because it's not because he was ripping me off. It's because we are both influenced by the same stuff. You know, mm-hmm. same thing with that uh, Jordu Shell. This guy who does these amazing masks. You know, it's like <coughs> people accuse him of ripping me off, and it's like he's. I think he was doing these things before I was painting, so he's not ripping mm-hmm. me off. It's that we have a similar aesthetic. Well, I think also, I mean, I just want to speak to the Pan's Labyrinth thing. I think also, though, that inevitably, along with Guillermo being influenced by the same other artist that you're influenced by, he's influenced by you as an artist. You worked with him. Yeah, we all all influence each other as well. Exactly. Yeah, Uh, yeah, and that's that's kind of the point that I'm making, is that it's not like it's a bad thing. It's just that inevitably, when you work with other people creatively, you are just, it's almost like osmosis. You're going to influence one another. That's the beauty of it. Right, right. And yeah, and I've been... Very, you know, a lot of my style um, was developed also while working on the tool videos. So I have a big influence from Cam DeLeon and from Adam also and from his aesthetic. And that really kind of, uh, you know, I, I could show you. I remember when Adam first hit me up to work on a on the Stinkfist video or or the Automa video. I don't remember, but I did this sketch of something and it's like, looking back on it now, it was so not right for tool. <laughs> it was very, it was more like, like I think try- I know what you're talking about. I was trying too hard to be weird. And, um, and it was more fantasy a little bit. Like it was more like a hooded figure. It just didn't, it wasn't right for tool tools, way more alien and, uh, you know, uh, what's that guy we were talking about? Uh, the Quay brothers type surreal, you know, that's kind of what I I think I got from working with Adam. Um, so much was, was the, the, the surrealist take on things, Absolutely, you know, that was a, that was really a big, um, influence, but that is who I am. That was part of my experience that made me who I am as an artist is working, working with him and working on these videos and working with cam and, um, so that's part of what makes me unique, even though it's, you know, it's influenced by other people. And, and I've, well, it's like their taste that influenced them in turn influenced you, even though it wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. your taste because right. they had distilled that flavor and then you further distilled right. that flavor by proxy. You know? Right. Right. And, and that's, I guess that's another thing about, um, developing your own style is being able to take stuff in and seeing what mm-hmm. resonates with you and, adding it into your repertoire a little bit, you know, like, or, or letting it, allowing it to influence your work without, you know, taking over your work. Um, Adam, I think it was Adam was the first person that showed me Bekshinsky, who's my favorite painter of all time as, um, some reference for one of the videos. 
And that just, that completely changed, you know, changed what I wanted to do and how I was doing it. Because, um, you know, probably the earliest works, like One in the Oven we're talking about, <clears throat> and um, this whole series of paintings I did in 2002, which I got to get pictures of them. I have some in my garage still. Bloody Eyeball. There was another really cool one that's got the first interloper ever in it. I still have that painting. It's really big. You I don't think you've ever it seen ever. it. I don't, think, I don't think I have either. It's really cool, and it's all scratched up now, so I need to, to um, take another picture of it. Yeah, it's like a, it's an interloper, which before any of the interloper stuff, before Dystopia, before I was doing the monster portraits, and it's it's a it's an interloper standing in a doorway, and then there's a little kind of fetus-looking or like a monkey guy cowering on the floor below his feet, and he's standing in a doorway, <laughs> but the doorway is very distorted. You know, it's like uh-huh, fun, fun uh-huh. house doorway. It's not like a, you know, realistic. It's kind of cartoony in a way. It's actually a right. really, really cool painting. But um, uh, what was my main you got point? Cut, cut on here. You were talking about these old ones from 2002 that you wanted to get up because I and I was just looking at them. Like one in the oven and cut. Yeah, gas cut. Gas. Yeah, cut. But I'm not sure what you were driving at. But <laughs> yeah. It was such a good point. <laughs> Let me just think a second. Uh. uh Oh, man. Oh, oh, oh. So at that point, I was really influenced by Mark Ryden. And, um, and we talked about him on the last one. The yeah. And influences if you, and inspirations. Yeah. And look at one in the oven. It's definitely got more of a, you know, Mark Ryden's got that kind of, it's realism, but it's cartoony. Yeah. And dull, it's real tight, kind of clean. Yeah. And, um, you know, I wasn't that as good as him, <clears throat> but, um, but if you see conceptually, it looks like a kind of like maybe a horror version of, of a Mark Riding. Yeah, the expression on the face, at least to me, that's how I took it. So, but then, you know, you can see after I was started getting in, I found it about Bekshinsky. And, you know, right after that was probably um, one call. Oh, God. <sighs> Sorry, the dogs are in here again. I, I thought I shut the door hard enough. Uh, you've got. Black Nerve Administrator. That mm-hmm. is like the most Bekshinsky, even though it's a simple one, that's the most Bekshinsky-ish painting I probably ever did, I think. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. I would agree. You know, the colors and the smoky background. And that's, you know, yeah. a lot of what I do with the backgrounds and that, that sense of atmosphere is very Bekshinsky-influenced, in, you know. But the thing is, is you could kind of trace Bekshinsky's kind of atmospheric look in in his backgrounds to um a painter like turner i don't know if you've ever seen turner i forgot his his first name um he's like an ink i think he was an english painter very kind of impressionistic paintings of really famous jmw yeah i see i am looking at him right now yeah you you see those backgrounds and they're like the light and the sun it's like they're just like landscapes of um you know oceans and but there's this like yellow sun and really kind of a smoky background. It's very Joseph Joseph Mallard William Turner, seventeen seventy five <laughs> to eighteen fifty one, English artist. And yeah, I totally see what you're saying. So yeah. you guys get. I'm gonna. I'll throw a link on the on this one just about this so that people can check it out because oh, it's cool. pretty cool to see that. Yeah, that's neat. I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. Absolutely. The difference, I I mean, is obvious is apparent in regard to like uh, Bekshinsky is that Bekshinsky, you know, aside from some of these real the the paintings this guy's doing that are just like a scene of just like a house and some people in the road right. and whatnot they're not tight they're very yeah, like they're, you said impressionistic and loose whereas he takes that impressionistic and loose and then tightens it up into these like ridiculous like right. you know tissuey you know right. amorphous creatures or whatever but, yeah but it's like just the sense of atmosphere that Turner, sure Turner yeah got. i totally very very in, in, in Bek, bekshinsky or bekshinsky I, you know i probably got that from him but you know that that goes into um one thing that's really unique about Bekshinsky is that his technique, his painting technique, when I finally got to go see those in person, they, he paints with little – I mean, I don't know if he did that this with every painting, but the ones I've seen, he paints with like fine brush strokes, you know, whereas I'm I'm trying to – I well, the way I paint is I go from broad to tight, which is more of like a academic style of painting where you, you block in the big shapes quickly and then you uh, slowly um, refine – down to your detailed areas. Let me shut this door. 
If you're interested in any of his time lapse stuff, guys, that he's talking about right now, if you go to uh, youtube.com forward slash NRG creations, that's NRG creations, and you go way back to some of the earlier videos in the Chet's R playlist, you'll be able to see a couple of Hammerhead one from 2012 and a variety of uh, time lapse stuff showing this, what he's talking about right now, blocking this stuff in. Yeah. So, um, but Bekshitsky, you know, aside from his just what he everything he was doing was, I think, unique. But his technique to get there was really unique. All these little teeny lines is almost like cross hatching with a with a pen and ink, but he's doing it with huh. paint. Really wow. weird. But it doesn't look like that when you step back from it. So that's another um, another uh, way to develop a unique style is to paint differently. You know, try again. We're going back to experimentation. You know, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But you really, I would say, before you took that step, you should learn your craft in a more traditional way because, you know, the the old adage that you have to know the rules to be able to break them is totally true. It is. You know, and, and, and if, and you, and, and you gotta, you know, if you, if you don't want to learn the right way to do something out of, because you know you don't want to hassle with it, then that's not the right reason to experiment and do something different. I think, <laughs> I think you should, you should respect the craft enough to learn it properly as best you can. You know what I mean? Instead of like, I am so good, I don't need, I don't need to know this stuff. I'm so good, right, I'm just going right. to come up with my own style that's never been done before, and in all the <laughs> hundreds of years of painting, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. very, very. Well, you even look at like people like Jackson Pollock who did, you know, some of these really crazy stuff that no one was doing. It's not like they just did that because they didn't take the time to learn the other shit because they did. I promise you. Oh yeah, like <laughs> he went to school. That fucker yeah, knew his shit. And he just, you know, Picasso, he veered off and Picasso he found his was style. A, yeah, yeah, Picasso, Picasso yeah. could paint. Dali could paint. Well, yep, he yep. more traditional, and he developed his own style, but. You know, so I think it's always a good. A Brock, good everybody thing. forgets Brock. You know, it sucks that everyone's all Picasso because Brock was like probably the reason Picasso indeed ended up even doing what he did. You know, I don't even know what's his name. Uh, Brock, I, yeah, B R A C H. I think I I can't remember his first name is William or not. I, like I'm the not candy. Look it up right now, but. Like that really uh, bad yeah, candy. Yeah, and he was, <laughs> you know, Picasso and him, if I remember correctly, shared a flat together when they were first starting out, and they really played off of each other. Um, I'll look it up here real quick. Fuck it, why not? Painter, and then I'll just put it because he's always associated with, uh, with Picasso. Yeah, George's. George, oh, it's B R B R A. Q-U-E, George's Brock. Okay. And if you look up his pictures, dude, seriously, they shared a studio together. They worked together for many years. Um, let's see here. Oh, he yeah. died at eight, yeah. 81. But look at his stuff. I yep. mean, they, uh, he was doing, he actually was doing this Cubist type stuff right. before Picasso. And they, but they were, again, you, we influenced each other. They were sharing a studio. They were good friends. They yep. were artists together. And Picasso took it and and made that his style, and he really did it better than Georges Brock did. But yeah, and you you can tell they're different too. You can tell they're yeah, different artists yeah. by looking at it. And it's, sure. But what's interesting though is again is that it's like he really came up with the idea of doing that first, and then right. Picasso saw it and was like, "Ooh, that's pretty fucking groovy." <laughs> now who knows what kind of conversations went on about that? But nevertheless, one of them went with it, whereas the other one, no one knows who the fuck he is, including right. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not a good judge. I didn't go to art school, so anything I've learned about artists has been on my own. So I'm always well, you know, I mean, I interested. love listening to you because you teach me all kinds of shit that I didn't learn in art school because you know I went to art school, but they teach you the traditional shit right. and you learned it through your own route. So I love listening to you because you turned me on to stuff that I have no idea about. Whereas I know all the kind of like typical St- legitimate, yeah, but that's you the know, stuff I wish I go to school. That's, shit. that's <laughs> the stuff I wish I I knew. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, we fill each other out, I guess, in that go. way as well. You know, it's so funny. I got to say this real quick. So I talked to my mom on the phone earlier today and you know, it was mother's day yesterday. I called. She was busy, whatever. So she called me back today. We get on the phone. First thing she says to me, she's like, oh, I listened to that first episode, that introduction episode of the Dark Art Society. And she's like, it was so funny. I got a kick out of it. She's like, you know, here, Chet, he comes on and he's like, oh, this podcast, yeah, maybe it'll just do nothing. And she's like, but no. She's like, you just come right back around and you're like, but who knows? Maybe it could be amazing. Maybe it could da, da, da. She's like, that's just so, it's just so you. You yeah. two are such good partners together. It's just you know, yeah, she doesn't sound of any anything like my little my uh, imitation of her, but it was just so funny <laughs> to listen to her get a kick out of it. You know, yeah, that's funny. That is our personalities in a nutshell, I suppose. 
right? <laughs> good for the introduction. It was like the first statement. I remember someone even commented on that. that they were yeah. like, oh, good way to start it might podcast. Suck. It might suck. I was nervous about it. I was nervous Chet about always is the, Chet leaves himself exit exit doors. You know, I'm, he's got plans, A, B, Cs, and Ds. I'm the worrier. I'm the worrying type. For sure. Well, it's good. You know, you got to do some of that. And then I'm the one that's like, it's all possible. <laughs> you know, somewhere <laughs> in the middle in the gray area, as usual, yeah. reality is exists. Well, we're getting close to the end. So are there any other uh, thoughts you can think of about developing style? I'm trying to think of a uh, shit. I'm trying to. Sorry, that was off my phone. <laughs> He's like, I'm trying to think. Ah, shit. It just hurts too much. guys. <laughs> no, as uh, my kid is calling me. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else in the development of your, I'm trying to just think of useful information, information. I mean, I, for me, I think one of the things I would like to say is yeah, along the lines of what we already talked about with, you know, being experimenting and, and playing and all that is just also remaining open-minded. Cause the thing is, is you could be very surprised what you end up being good at, <laughs> you know, right? That's I mean, true. and it's like, I'll give you an example. I I'm doing all, I do all this stuff that I never thought I'd do all this social media administration and Kickstarter administration and all of this stuff. And all of it is actually quite, quite creative. Right. I mean, granted, there's a lot of just kind of like logistical, you know, basic organizational type stuff, management stuff. But it's also a venue for being able to do quick, fast, creative stuff and keep me on my toes. And actually, I like it. And mm -hmm. so it's funny because if I was real closed off to that, I would have never even found that that's something that I can make money at, but also I can enjoy. It's a way to help promote other artists. It's a way to be involved in other people's projects. You know, it's a way to to uh uh, expand, you know? And right. so again, because I'm set up to uh, expand as opposed to shrink and contract, it's really been a beneficial thing. So I would say remain open and, and allow yourself to be surprised. It's okay to be surprised. It's okay to like things that you never thought you'd like to do. It's right. all right. Enjoy yeah. it. You have a free license. <laughs> yeah. I would totally agree with that. That's a great attitude to have for sure. Is staying open. Staying open to new ideas too, you know. Sure, yeah. Not just blowing things off because they're new. That's kind of like a thing to do for some. Yeah, people. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. That's hip. Yeah, that's, Fuck that. but you know what? Some stuff that's <laughs> hip is good. You know, like it's it's like the Beatles. I was talking about the Beatles on Facebook. Yeah, you've been on it. You've been on the. I've Beatles been on a Beatles kick. You talked about it on the last. I episode. know. I know. And it's you know I've always <laughs> I've always loved the Beatles, but. But you know how it is. You fall out. You don't listen to a band for a while, and then you listen again. You're like, oh, I, now I know. I remember why I liked them so much. But, but it's the same. You know, the Beatles are great, and they're super one of the most popular bands in the world. So you know, they're not everything that's popular is good, but um, not everything that's popular means it's bad either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Use your judgment. Yeah, exactly. Be yep. And just uh, you know, yeah. I got to say real quick, I, I another shout out to Brian Kilgore. I love the guy. He's been doing the mixing and mastering for us on this guys, and I'm sure at a given point in time, you notice the quality level on the show go up. That's that was because of him. That yeah. is because <laughs> of him. Um, and I really like that he's doing this thing where he kind of pushes the voices around a little bit because I've been listening to it a little bit, and it really gives that sensation of conversation, you know. Uh, and and that is interesting too because that is the style of this podcast developing. So speaking of developing a style, you know, we're working with this guy. He's introducing new ideas we're remaining open and those things are changing the sound and the style of it but in fact it's making it better and so again that's just kind of in a nutshell an example within this microcosm of what we're doing right here and you're listening to people right right you know i would say also that that brings to mind is just in closing <clears throat> fucking dogs came back in again um it was fucking dogs <laughs> um Mike's just been sleeping in the corner and hasn't moved <laughs> I know. A single time. your dogs are good my dogs are bad um uh, you know, having a, 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 you know, getting opinions from like your peers as well. You know what I mean? And yeah, that's, that's a, a big, I think it was one of, I was watching that war Warhol documentary and, um, it's the great Andy Warhol documentary called, uh, it's the American masters PBS what are you, why are you smiling? Because a dog. <laughs> no, I'm smiling because because your memory. Because you've you've told everybody about the Andy Warhol documentary and you no. told him the title of it. Everything. It's great. He really likes it, guys. You should check it the fuck out. He no, likes. I didn't talk about this part. Copy of it. Send it to yeah, me. I did. I didn't. No, it really is great though, and I didn't know shit about Andy Warhol. So keep talking. Sorry. Yes. Anyway, um, <laughs> you asked why I was smiling. I'm just being honest. Um, there, there. I forget who it was. 
maybe Jasper Johns. He's, he's, he was basically, he was showing his first, I think it was his first soup can painting, and it was a painting, I think, or maybe it was a Coca-Cola painting. It was something basically, but it was a painting. It wasn't a print like he got famous mm-hmm. for. And, um, and I think it was, he was just showing it maybe among other pieces he was doing because he was experimenting, trying to develop, develop his style. And I think one of those guys, it was Jasper Johns and his partner maybe were. Jasper, Jasper Johns is a great painter, if I remember correctly. And he was saying, oh, I really like, you know, this one here, which was like the soup can one. I think it's something like that. But it, it was mm-hmm. basically, you know, uh, one of if one of his art buddies was like, oh, I really like this. And he kind of decided to go with that, which completely Mm -hmm. developed, you know, his style. He developed his style based on this opinion of this guy, you know, just by, oh, I'm going to try this out some more and see where it goes. And, you know, so, so I would say putting it out amongst your trusted peers is is really good too. And asking, because sometimes that's, it's also helpful if you don't have the eye to see yourself, if if you're being too derivative or if you're being, yeah, yeah to whatever if you put it out to people that you trust that aren't just going to blow smoke up your ass um that's very helpful to get to get feedback from other artists you respect well and surround yourself with people that have good taste too you know because i mean the better the taste like chet said earlier with adam and tool you know the better the taste of those people that are around you the the better you're going to be because Mm -hmm. you're going to be influenced by things that you would have not been otherwise influenced by you know absolutely so that's a good point to stop. Let's stop this madness. Yeah, let's stop it. Let's just put the brakes on. Come on, guys, I, slow down. An hour and four minutes, and I think we only talked for like a minute or two. Like two before. minutes or something. Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, I got other things to do today. Actually, I'm trying to finish up my emails from Infinity Podcast, which will be the second episode coming out this Friday on uh, soundcloud.com forward slash emails from Infinity, which is me reading my uh, book, which uh, Chet kind of is really the force behind why this is happening but it'll be coming out two days after this podcast guys so if you want to tune in that's great i'm gonna get off this podcast with chat now so i can finish up that one (laughs) (laughs) all this work that i don't get paid for but you know what i love doing it it makes me happy and it's part of my style yo (laughs) speaking of style yeah it's great too i would recommend that everybody listen to it's really entertaining and interesting so um I appreciate that. It's it's a bizarre, strange conglomeration of autobiographical stories written by me about my my memories and also emails that are archival uh, that I actually penned to a dude who was struggling with some uh, major addiction issues. And I was trying to help him through some troubled times. So I paired those with the story and stories from my childhood. And that's the that's the book in a nutshell. So, yeah, yeah tune in. Thanks. Guys. The stories it. are weird, though. The stories are really, really weird. So you got to add that because <laughs> that, like, that doesn't quite do that doesn't quite do justice. Where you're like, I don't even believe this fucker. <laughs> this guy's full of shit. At some point in time, at least everyone who's listening to it's gonna be like, okay, okay, I heard enough of him. At this point, I don't believe you anymore. But it's still cool. It's still cool. I don't believe That's true. You even if you don't but believe it, it, it is still true. interesting. I swear to you, through my perspective, from, from what I experienced, and I can't say that's infallible. It was. All, it all happened to me. Right. I believe it. All right. Well, so- thanks. Again. Guys, I appreciate you turning out and listening to my little self-promotion. And also, you guys should uh, check out chatzar.bigcartel.com. Um, I fucked that up twice. That's two episodes now. Chatzar.bigcartel.com. And uh, that's a great place to pick up some merchandise and help support us in our endeavor to continue making the Dark Art Society podcast. You can also rate and review us on your favorite platform, comment, share, and especially review us because that keeps us in the charts. iTunes is really our favorite platform for getting those reviews. Thanks, guys. And we will have some uh – I think I think we're gonna have some news about the Dark Art Society as a whole coming soon. Yeah, we've been talking about it, discussing a lot of stuff about moving that whole thing forward. So keep an eye or an ear out for that because we're gonna be uh, talking probably pretty soon about it. Yeah, probably maybe even maybe even within two episodes or so. so maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. We put the whole song up for your listening pleasure because it's pretty it's pretty cool. We actually corroborated that song as the one for the episode independently of one another. I was like, dude, that one song you made that? And he's like, oh, you mean that? Oh, wait, that was the one I thought would be. So it was just the right one. Okay. Anyway. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you for listening. 
I hope you enjoyed it. And also, hey, if you guys want to want us to uh, cover any topics that we haven't covered already, please hit us up on facebook.com forward slash dark art society. And you could just go in there and post and say, talk about this, talk about that. And we might just do it. And it might yeah. be because that's true because we're definitely running out of ideas already. <laughs> He's fucking with y'all. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Bye. Night.